0: your message notes we're going to dive into the final installment of winning the war in your mind and i love this series uh it's inspired by craig rochelle's book called the same thing winning the the war in your mind Uh, i know over the last couple of years we've been through a pandemic we uh have been impacted in ways that i don't even think we fully understand the extent of you know i just wrote my book called unstuck and unstoppable it releases in november and yeah, aren't you excited, whoo, comes out, and uh, we started a podcast the same way, and uh, it's called The Same Thing, but really, I, I was stuck through the summer of uh, 2020, and it's because of the global pandemic, and it really wasn't because of, that really exposed what was already in me. And uh, there was a propensity to some fears and concerns and, and things on the inside, and, and I'll never forget, and I write about it in the book, how that, fear began to grip my mind in a way that I had not really understood. Uh, it was, we were, you know, the, the band had lifted. We were able to go out if we were wearing our mask and I had to go to a doctor's office just down here in Sugarland. and I was sitting in the reception area, I checked in. I'm the only person in the reception area. It's a pretty large reception area. And again, I'm a pastor, you know, so I'm used to being around people and I had my mask on, I checked in, yes ma'am, sit down. And lo and behold, a man walks in who I would normally talk to. And be glad to talk to him. You know, I don't mind talking to people. Smile, have a great conversation. Checks in. And that joker didn't sit across the room. That joker sat right beside me. And I got offended. I was like, I cannot. Like, have you ever been there where you're you're like, I cannot believe he sat right there. You got the whole, and I'm having this whole conversation. You got the whole waiting room and you sat right by me. Don't you know we're wearing masks? Don't you know we're social distancing? And... And the Holy Spirit checked me and said, look, pre-pandemic, you would have never had that thought. And what I recognized was that while we were trying to protect what was going on and keep people safe, fear inadvertently has changed the very fabric of the way I think. And so it's great to come out of a crisis, but many people never change their thinking once they get out of the crisis. Instead of shaping the crisis, the crisis has shaped you. And so I I recognize winning this war in your mind is so powerful because many people, we, we feel victim to what happens to us, but I need you to know what happens to you cannot change you. It's what happens in you that changes the things around you. And so we've got to recognize that as believers, look, there is a war that is happening, And that that war is to try to change our life, and it's not from without, but that war is raging from within. There's a couple of things that we've learned. The first one is, we know that most of life's battles are won or lost in the mind. Most of life's battles are won or lost in the mind. I know know you struggle with your weight, but it's not really a weight problem, it's a mind problem. I know you're struggling at work, but it's not really your boss you're struggling with. It's the way you think about your boss and that job and your work. And so we like to blame because, look, blame negates responsibility. If I blame you, I don't have to be responsible. But my pastor always just taught me if I take responsibility, then I can change it. I can't change what people do to me, but I can change the way I respond to what people do to me. And I'm not going to live as a victim. God didn't call us to live as a victim. He wants us to be a victor. And I know that the power of God inside of me is greater than any foe against me. Second thing we've learned is that we know it's almost impossible to have a positive life when you have a negative mind. Some of you are wishing your life was better, but your thinking is stinking. And you can't have one without the other. You got to change your thinking if you want to change your life. You got to change your thinking if you want to. In fact, I would stop trying to change everything outside and start trying to change everything inside. Then you'll see the fruit of what's happening, and it takes time. It takes hard work. Listen, that's why most people don't live the life God's called them to live. That's why we fight the good fight of faith. Look, if you're just passively existing and drifting, that's not the life God's called us to live. God called us to live as disciples disciples cost there is a cost to discipleship look I'm not talking about consumerism look the church is full of consumers you come in and sing this song pastor play that thing preach really well make me laugh no a disciple is not here to be entertained A disciple is here to be transformed so that then you can take that transformation out the four walls see I'm convinced the world is not they don't think highly of the church because they hadn't really seen the church They've seen a social club. God is raising up an army, and when the army of God rises up, the world will take notice and say, those people really live it out. They may not like you, but they will honor you. Here's another thing that we're learning. It's easy to have a mind that's filled with negative thoughts and irrational thoughts. The worries of life, that's easy, that's normal. I mean, that's just what happens if you live in this world. I, I, I'm a dad. I mean, I, I have a propensity to this as well. i got a 16-year-old. Anybody got a 16-year-old? He just got his license, and you're like, oh, Lord, please keep them safe, God. You've got our commission angels. And then have you ever just, they're gone, and you're like, oh, my God, I know they got in a wreck. Something happened. Oh, my God. And he's got all four of my kids. i got four kids. And I'm often thinking if something happens while they're driving, that's my whole family that will be wiped out. Well, that's irrational. That's not God's plan. And so when that happens, I just plead the blood of Jesus. I plead the blood of Jesus over Caden. I commission angels around that car. My kids are called to live and not die. And I begin to fight against it. But we have those irrational thoughts in our life. I mean, just the worries and the anxiety. And that's why the Bible and Paul tells us in Philippians chapter four, verse six through nine, here's what he says. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, By prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Think about that, so when I pray, there is a great exchange. I'm offloading my problems, I'm offloading my anxiety, I'm offloading my worry, and the exchange is, then God says, I've got this, let me give you my peace, which passes all understanding. Isn't that a great exchange? Let me tell you like this. You're carrying what you're not supposed to be carrying and not carrying what you should be carrying. We should be carrying the peace of God and not carrying the worries of this world. Finally, brothers, look at what he says in verse 8. And sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things And the God of peace, how many came to church wanting peace? Just just a little peace. God, I want peace. I want you to notice you're in the right place. The God of peace is in this place, and it says, he will be with you. The title of my message today is Calm My Anxious Mind. It's Calm My Anxious Mind. Somebody say, "Give me some peace. Turn to your neighbor and say, I need some peace. Turn to your second choice and say, I need some peace. Yeah. I just need some peace, 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 peace. Seems like that's fleeting, even in the church and among Christians. Today, what we're gonna do is we're gonna talk about worry and anxiety. And we're actually gonna talk a little bit about how the mind works. I want us to understand how the mind works. So we're gonna talk about spirituality and God, but we're also gonna talk about science. How many know God is the God of science? I often think it's very comical how they say, "No, no, no, we're not talking religion, we're talking science. Well, who do you think created science? So, so they don't, they coexist together because he's the author of it. But look, here's, here's a key thought that I want us to, to remember as we dive in. Your life is always moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts. Your life is always moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts. Let me say it like this. You are today what you thought yesterday. You will be tomorrow what you think today. So the strongest thoughts in your life, they direct your life. Now, if you got good thoughts, let I mean, know that's good news. I mean, if you've got bad thoughts, that's terrible news. But the good news is you can change those bad thoughts into good thoughts and change the direction of your life. You're not a victim, so even in the midst of that, there is good news. Can I get an amen? Okay, so I'm going to talk and teach us a little bit. What do we know about the mind? What do we know about the mind? In our brain, we have a, a, a place called the amygdala. It's a little almond shape. They're going to show it up on the screen. It's a little almond-shaped portion of our mind. This is the place in our mind that is hardwired for survival. Show it up there for for me, guys. It's the part of your brain, it's called the amygdala, and it's wired for survival. So if you've ever had that fight or flight emotion, anybody been in a situation where you get scared, adrenaline rushes through your vein, what's the two options? We're going to fight or we're going to run? And I often tell people, don't scare me because it's, I don't, I don't know why I don't pretend to be some macho superhero. But my response, if someone scares me, I come out swinging. I'm like, I don't, I'll be backing up. Like, <laughs> it's funny, somebody scared me one time and I punched them. I'm like, yo, oh, I'm so sorry. You know? Now, other areas, it's, it's a flight. So the, the amygdala, when it senses danger, adrenaline rushes, and those are your two responses. So let me give you an example. My, my, I'm not fighting a snake. I don't care that I live in Texas. I don't care that cowboys are in Texas. I ain't no cowboy. I'm a city boy. And if I see a snake, and my, my sister-in-law, she lives on a farm, and, and they she, she loves snakes. I had a snake uh, in my yard, and from, it was a big snake. It was big. And I'm like taking pictures. Someone said, oh, it's a copperhead, you know, next door, all the, oh, it's a diamondback. It's all these, everybody's got an opinion. I send it to her. She said, oh, it's a little simple, what, grass snake. I'm like... Oh, she's like, leave it. It'll kill all the rodents. I'm like, oh, no, nah, no. Nah. Got that shovel, and I butchered that thing, and I butchered, and she's like, it's a good snake. Yeah, because it's dead. <laughs> That's the amygdala. It's just, hey, come on, watch it, you know? Uh, last night, we were driving home. It was midnight, and we were driving on the highway, and an 18-wheeler, it was really narrow, literally almost pushed me into the, the wall and I I, thank God it really wasn't the angels a miracle but my adrenaline rushed and I just I scooted over it was I felt like I was in the in the NASCAR you know I was running right up against that wall we made it through but how many have been driving and some yahoo just swings over and you're like and you calm down and you want to salute them and you're like praise God God bless you dude that's the amygdala not that none of y'all would do that I know you're saved and all I got it Pastor, I did it last night. <laughs> Maybe your dog barks. Anybody got a dog, and you know, the night it's cool. Nothing's happening. Your dog starts freaking out a little bit. You're like, the amygdala freaks. You get adrenaline You're like, someone's trying to rob us. Somebody's going to try to break in. Right? That, that's the amygdala. It's this response of it. You're in a crisis. You're in an emergency. The amygdala is not objective, it's simply hardwired to protect you. So when it senses danger, whether rational or irrational, it's there to protect, and God gave us that, and that's an amazing thing. I, my wife, I made a confession to the church today. Uh, I have a fear, and I actually looked it up, and I, I'm not going to speak it, but it's this thasylophobia or something. I couldn't even speak it. I thought, that's right. I'm never going to say it. But when I'm in a body of water where I can't see underneath me, like an ocean or a lake, like swimming pool, yo, I'm your boy. Like, we got it. You know, it's an ocean that's actually blue and not Galveston. I'm good. But when I get underwater and there's nothing that I can see underneath me and it's all water, how how many have ever had your heart race? It's like, I got to calm down because I'm thinking something's about to eat me. Like, I, I know ain't nobody else been bit, but I'll be the one person and... It's, it's irrational, but there's something that happens. And here's what happened when I was a teenager. I was hanging out with this, this guy, and he loved horror movies. I hate horror movies, but somehow we watched Freddy. You know, one, two, Freddy's gone. Yeah. yeah, some of you are like, oh. Well, I overcame the whole dark deal, you know. The, but then we also watched Jaws. Yeah, you know, and, man, you know, like, Jaws ain't real. Look, they got a picture of him. This Jaws ain't real. Like, I got it. He don't really do all that. So I'm good. Didn't think anything of it and I go swimming in this lake and there's a whole bunch of guys now. The guys didn't even know I watched Jaws but I had just recently watched it and I'm swimming. Well, one of the guys I lost sight of were in the middle of the lake and that Yahoo, that Joker got underneath me and I didn't know anybody was underneath me and he yanked me under, now remember, I'm just treading water and I'm like, Jaws! I'm like, I'm dying, I thought my legs are gone, whatever, he just got me. I'm freaking out. I'm like, tell my mama I love her. You know, and I'm like, I'm alive. And I come up and they're all laughing. But inside in that second of trauma, I really thought Jaws had got me in a freshwater lake, y'all. And I go back to that. It's, It's really funny now, but Phyllis and I go out on the lake in Lake Conroe with Steve and Steph. They have a condo out there. And honest to God, she probably will process this with me later. I don't like to get in the water. I just sit on the boat and drive around. Hey, Dad, get in the water. No, I'm good. My joy is watching you swim. <laughs> and I'll get in a little bit, but what they don't know is my heart is racing and beating. And so, because my amygdala is not rational, You know, but it is funny. I did ask Steph, hey, are there any sharks up in Lake Conroe? Come on, there ain't no sharks up in Lake Conroe. <laughs> it's irrational. And and here's what I know is that the amygdala needs help. That's why God created a prefrontal cortex. That's the part of your brain that's logical. Show them the picture. So the prefrontal cortex fights the amygdala when it's irrational. So your dog is barking. It's late at night. You're like, your first response, adrenaline. Someone's going to kill us. Someone's breaking in. Well, your prefrontal cortex says, no, it's just the cat next door. Calm down. And you get up, you go look around, it's just the cat. It calms you down. It's, it's the thing that helps the irrational become rational. Scream, you know, the, the middle of the screen you're going to die while I'm swimming in the lake. I'm like, no there, is no, there are no sharks in a freshwater lake. It's the thing that fights the irrational. And here's what I know, had you had the experience I had, you'd probably be afraid of swimming in a body of water where you can't see under your feet as well. Why? Because I was traumatized. Rational or not, it traumatized me. And many of you walk around each and every day with trauma from your childhood. Maybe your mom and dad left you. And so that trauma scars you. And the amygdala, when you get in a relationship, you're like, you're gonna be just like my mom and dad. And the adrenaline of that relationship, you leave and run. But the prefrontal cortex is trying to say, that's not your mom, that's not your dad. God brought you to this church. God put you in that small group. Stay there. These are the people that will love you and hold you and keep you and be there for the good times bad times but if you hadn't dealt with the trauma of the past you will constantly run from the relationships of the future you see the amygdala it's all constantly operated in its subconscious it's irrational but that prefrontal cortex the logic is what holds us and says no we we've got this we can make it and so we got to learn to recognize what god created for good the enemy will use for bad because he's the one that traumatizes us And that's why Paul says in Philippians chapter four, verse six and seven. And this is the same passage we just read. That's why he goes back. Don't be anxious about what? Anything. Your amygdala is gonna try to make you anxious about those financial challenges. The relationships. The situation, maybe it is a, a health situation that's life-threatening, but you got to say, no, no, I'm not going to feel that anxiety. Now, there are moments, okay, it was rational, then respond rationally, but recognize that there are moments where you're going to have to intentionally engage your brain to say, God, I give this to you. And then look what he says, in every situation, by prayer, petition, think about that, prayer. How do you change your life? You got to Pray. We have a lot of prayerless Christians that have a label but no lifestyle. It's pitiful. You know, we see, we see it's, it's like if, if, we, if we really did what the word said, I wonder how our life would actually change. Look, it says, with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. I want you to hear this. God cares about you more than you can ever imagine. And if it's on your mind it's on God's heart. If it's on your mind, it's on God's heart. God loves you, God cares for you, God wants there to be an exchange of your worry, your anxiety, your fear. He is ready to offload his peace that passes understanding. Now, listen to what I'm not, I'm not saying. The Christian life is easy. I'm not saying that it's, you know, you give your life to God, you're going to be rich and all is easy. No, no, that's when the battle starts. That's when the struggle fight comes because the devil wants to steal, kill, and to destroy your life according to John 10:10. But here's what I know, that in the middle of the battle, I can have peace that passes understanding in the middle of the fight I can have joy that doesn't make sense in the middle of the fight I can have hope when it seems hopeless that's the exchange of the Christian life that's why people will look at you and say there's something different about you but that only happens if we actually live as disciples and not just consumers and fans of Christianity I mean and and here's what I know too somebody better answer that that might be important right there Here's what I can, to me, it's just crazy, crazy how that as believers we discount the power of prayer. And yet, all throughout the Bible, the thing he says, through prayer and petition, through prayer and petition. And, and sometimes, here's what I've heard people say oh my gosh, there's nothing left to do, we should pray. How many have probably even said that? I don't even know what else to do. We ought to pray. I mean, no, prayer should not be your last resort, it ought to be your first response. Like, we ought to say, I don't know what to do, and it doesn't matter, I'm praying, I'm not even going to try anything else until I pray and get God's will on what I'm supposed to do. It's not a last resort, it's actually a first response. I mean, can you just imagine the God of heaven? Think it. he created the heavens and the earth, the galaxy and the stars fashioned and formed the intricacies of our lives, created us meticulously, and he hears us say, well, I guess all I can do is pray. And yet he's saying, I'm standing here on assignment. The God of heaven inside of you, that as a believer, God is not external, he is internal. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in this world. See, when Jesus died on the cross and the blood of Jesus at the cross created a new covenant, it tore the veil. See, in the old covenant, the Old Testament, people couldn't access the throne room. There were high priests that would go into the holy of holies, but when Jesus came to this earth, lived a sinless life, died on the cross willingly his blood tore the veil and now you and i have access to the throne room of god almighty that's what's different with us as a believer that's the power and yet here's what's crazy we live pitiful lives because we never access a powerful god is all we want to do is get into heaven no no you know what i want to do i want to bring heaven to earth I want them to say, my God, that man walks with power. My God, he prays, and he's a reflection of God. That's what Jesus, look, people might not like you. Look, I'm not telling you everybody's going to like you. In fact, they probably won't like you, but I promise you this, they will respect you. They don't respect us because we don't, we're not disciples. We don't look like him. We don't talk like him. We don't act like him. We don't live like him, but we wear his label. How many have ever eaten something that was falsely advertised? You're frustrated, you're angry, you're mad, you feel deceived. That's what's happened in the world. They feel deceived. We advertise the label that we don't live out. But there's a church in Richmond, Texas that is being raised up as disciples. We don't have to go out and argue and fight. We're just going to live the life. We're going to live the life. We're going to live the life. I mean, think about the God who moves mountains, the God who raises the dead. The God who heals the sick and of the sick, we've had hundreds of people healed this year alone. Physical healings in this place this year alone. God said this would be a year of miracles and we've seen miracle after miracle after miracle. And yet we tie his hands because we use him as a last resort instead of a first response. Hebrews chapter four, verse 16. Look at what it says. Let us therefore come boldly to what? The throne of grace. What do you mean? We have access. We have access. We have access to who? To God Almighty. That we may obtain mercy and find grace to help and win. Time of need. Some of you think God doesn't care. God cares more than you'll ever know. But you gotta stop tying his hands. James chapter 4, verse 2 says, Do you not you do not have because you do not ask? Think about that. I know you think it but have you asked him? I mean, you know, God knows your thoughts, but he wants you to ask. So ask him, God, I need your help. God, I have this irrational fear. God, this has happened in my, God, I, and you begin to articulate one of the things it does. Here's what prayer does. It puts you in the posture. See, some of us, we tell God, but we're not actually in the right posture. We get on our knees, we pray. If you get on your knees, whatever, it's like, God, I'm getting in a posture, I'm asking, there's humility. It's like, God, whatever you wanna do in my life, do it, but God, there's some things that have been hard. There's some things that I'm struggling with. Come on. Come on. It's amazing. Not only does prayer move the heart of God, but I also want you to see this. Prayer changes the very chemistry of your brain. Decades, neuro, uh, neuro, um, neurologists, They actually felt like and thought that the neuroplasticity of your brain stopped changing at adolescence. So, about 15 years old, the neuroplasticity of your brain would freeze. Aren't you glad that you didn't freeze with a 15 year old brain? (laughs) Could you imagine a bunch of 45 year olds walking around with a 15 year old brain? (laughs) That would be so embarrassing. They've done study, and it's very interesting. There's a whole, it's called neurotheology, and it's also known as spiritual neuroscience. And what they've done is they study the mind and how a relationship with God affects the brain. When you believe in God, the relationship with God, how it literally changes and affects the brain. And there's a lady named De- Dr. Caroline Leaf. I want you to write this down. If you hadn't read this book, you really need to go read it. It's called Switch On Your Brain. See, I don't think you need to be a Christian that's brainless. You need to be smart. You need to understand. You need to be studied. You need to realize that, that God created it. We don't put the absence of science and technology and all those things from God. No, it's, they coexist together. The author, God himself, has allowed that to happen. Look what it says. It's been found that 12 minutes of daily focused prayer over an eight-week period can change the brain to such an extent that it becomes measured on a brain scan. So imagine that. So much has been rewired through 12 minutes of prayer over just an eight-week period. Imagine what it would look like over a year, two years, five years, 10 years. Your whole brain would be transformed as God has called us. And that's what Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says. Look, don't be conformed to what? The pattern of this world. See, when you were saved, you thought one way. See, I'm convinced Christians believe when I get saved, everything changes. No, your destination changes. I'm saved, I was going to hell, I got saved, God saved me, now I'm going to heaven. There's a destination change, but transformation takes work. Look, Paul actually says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Isn't that interesting? Well, isn't that what we just read? That when we pray that your mind is literally being transformed just 12 minutes a day for eight weeks, there's a transformation. What's happening when we've studied that scripture, it's a remodel. God is remodeling the way you think, but it doesn't happen by osmosis. You can't just show up at church and say, ta-da, change me, God. No, you got to go home on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday and Sunday and Monday and and what? And pray. Spend time in the Word. And as you do, the very neurological pathways of your brain are actually remodeled into the way that God, will you think? Look, he says, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Prayer actually heals our mind and builds new neurological pathways. Isn't that amazing? So here's the question. Why do we worry? Why do we panic? Why is there anxiety? Science... Would say that you've been hijacked by your amygdala, the fight or flight. God's word would say your mind is dominated by sinful thinking. Look at what it says in Romans chapter 8, verse 5 and 6. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about what? Sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. Imagine that. And we give you the definition of worry. What is worry? Worry is this it is the sin of distrusting the promises and the power of God, it's a sin to worry. Over and over in the Bible, he says, cast your cares on me. Look, look, in fact, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, look at what it says. Cast all your anxiety. One translation says cares on him. And so when we worry, what we're doing is saying, God, I've got this, you can't handle it. I'm bigger than you. Or what we're saying is that the problem that we have is bigger than the God that we serve. And so there's an exchange that has to happen. It's like, God, I'm gonna cast my anxiety on you because I know that you care for me. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 5 says we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. So when you're worrying and there's anxiety, you got to capture that thought. That prefrontal cortex has to capture the thoughts that the amygdala puts in your mind because it's not rational. So we got to recognize the irrational, the trauma from the past is trying to derail the promises of the future. And so you gotta say, no, I'm gonna grab a hold of it. In fact, that's really what happens. The prefrontal cortex grabs a hold of the amygdala and says, no, nope, I'm gonna give that to God. No, I know there's, there's, there's trauma and I know that there's some adrenaline running, but I'm gonna give that to God because he'll take care of it better than I can. And I've done something. I, I, I wanted to just give you this little illustration and then I'm gonna close with the last scripture, but bring that, bring that out here. Something that I've been doing and I always try to just find a way to make it very practical. Thank you. Come on, give him a hand. Yes, didn't he look good? Nike, look sponsored. We just go ahead and get them to buy that land next to us. Just one point seven million Nike. That's what we need. Anchor Bend Church. Cool. They. Uh, you. You don't have to have anything fancy, but I love to break it down into something just very practical. And what I found was even last week as I was, I found this was such a great setup for God. I, you know, I didn't really plan to do this series. We went through. Together, our team and JT did one week, and Joliet, and this one fell on me. And I just thought God was laughing because last week I was really struggling with some things, some weightiness. You know, if you do anything great, you're always going to have weightiness. And even if you don't do anything great, you're still going to have some weightiness. And you think, well, he must not have any problems. He always looks happy, everything's good. No, I got problems, but I got peace. I got problems, but I got joy. I got problems, but I got hope. And one of the things I felt like God said, you know, just really give this to me. It was something I'm really, I said, okay, God, I'm gonna give it to you. And I thought about this, what if you just write down the worry and anxiety that you're feeling, whatever it is, and we write it down on this, and this box could represent God. Because I I think you've got so much heaviness and anxiety because you've never even labeled what it is that you're worrying about. You you understand? You got to know what it is that I'm fighting. And so I've just learned, I feel very anxious. I feel very nervous. Let me just list out the things that I'm feeling. And then you just recognize that's not that much. But when it's not identified, because then when you measure it, you're like, well, that's nothing to God. Right? And so you just put it. So I I did. I wrote it down, and I put it in the box. I said, God, you got it. You said, cast all my anxiety, all my fears on you. Cool. And I'm praying. About five minutes later, I'm like, God, you didn't do nothing, man. Hold on, let me get that back. I don't know if you're really gonna do something about that. I might need to make a phone call. (laughs) Anybody ever done that? It's like, God, I I want an answer, but I need it now. It's like, God, I wish you were early, but how many know we don't serve early, God? We tell leaders, leaders are early. I'm like, God, are you a leader or what? You just need to show up early. He's like, No, I'm on time. I'm just on time. Why? Because it builds our faith. It's like, God, I just trust you. Are there other options? There are other options. But God, I'm not going to pick that back up because if I pick that back up, i got to keep carrying that. Some of you have been making things happen and it's outside of the order of God and you're mad at him. And he's like, but you never gave it back to me. Trying to get your husband saved and you keep wholly hitting to him, making him feel ashamed and guilted and condemned. If you just live the life and pray for him, he might actually follow you to church. Same thing with the why. I mean, do you understand what I'm saying? So it's like, and what, what I've learned is, if I can just write it down, identify it, I'm gonna say, God, I give it to you. There's something about it. It's yours. It's yours. It's yours. And I I know what someone's saying. Someone say, oh, that's that's just a little irrational. It's irresponsible. You're just gonna put your problem. You're gonna put it in a box. You're gonna say, God, just fix it. Just do it supernatural. Well, let me tell you, God does supernatural things. He bought us this building supernaturally. It's a miracle now, of course. It took people to give, but doing this was, it was a miracle. There was no way. I'll never forget, in 2019, we stood on the stage at B.F. Terry. We needed a million dollars in 100 days to buy this campus. And, and the Lord, I, I said, God, you got to talk to us. I felt the Lord gave me a word, a solid word. And I talked to our team and talked to our leaders. Everybody's like, we're with you. I stood on the stage in December 2019. Said it's gonna be the best decision or the worst decision, but how many of you will try to go out and do this with me? And in 150 days, God brought in $1.192 million in the middle of COVID, a pandemic, and we bought this campus that you're now worshiping. So let me tell you like this, you are worshiping in the middle of God's miracle. You are sitting on a seat that is a part of God's miracle. And so I could hear you like, that's irrational. Here's, here's the three philosophies I have of life. So number one, I'm gonna do what I can. It would have been illogical if we just said, God, you gotta make it happen. No, we had to give. We had to do due diligence. There was a lot, there was a lot of work, a team of trustees that worked behind the scenes. You know, some people, you're like, God fix my finances, but you don't have a budget. Well, that God's not a genie. In fact, I'll tell you this, he won't fix your finances until you get a budget because you need to know how you're spending money, what you're stewarding, and then you've got to begin to say, here's what I'm believing for. Some of you are asking God to do nothing more than just fulfill a wish. No, no, you need to name the giant. We needed a million dollars in a 100 days. This is the giant, and God, you gave us your word. We're going to slay this giant. And then now people get to sit in the miracle and say there must be a God in heaven, supernatural. So you got to do your part got a budget. you got to spend your money wisely. And if you're praying to get debt-free, now you say, God, look, my my income is only this. But we need this to be debt-free. We've got the budget. We're staying within the budget. We're doing good investments. And then all of a sudden, you're doing your part. God's working behind the scene. Boom, it would have taken 20 years to get debt-free. It only took you one year. And here you are now walking in the middle of a miracle because you did your part while God did his part. So I do what I can, I give God what I can't do, and then the third part is I trust God no matter what. Because I can tell you this, when you start to step out to do what's requiring a miracle, when you're asking God to do something in your life, listen, it doesn't get easier. That's when the battle starts. The devil wants to steal, kill, and to destroy. And the moment you make a decision that you're going to step out and believe to live the life God's called you to leave, listen, there's going to be a battle. There's going to be a war. It looked like we were taking two steps back for every one step forward, but we refused to give up. We refused to quit. We said, God, we're doing our part. I can't see what you're doing, but I have faith. I believe that what you're working on behind the scenes is supernatural, and lo, and behold, every step of the journey it was supernatural. God would show up right on time because we continued to trust him and we did not stop the journey of faith. I mean, imagine if you lived a life of peace and joy and free from anxiety and not struggle. It's not easy, but it is fulfilling. I want you to know this as a believer, it's possible. It's, it's possible. The God of heaven is on the inside of you, it's possible. And I wanna leave you back with the passage we started with, Philippians four, six, and seven. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, every situation, every moment, by prayer and petition. And then I love this part with thanksgiving. That's the part of worship, Alexis was exhorting us, Bobby was exhorting us. God, I'm going to pray. I'm going to petition heaven. But the, the faith comes in the worship. It's like, God, I hadn't seen it, but I worship you. I thank you that it's already done. God, I thank you for the miracle. And then the great exchange happens. He takes our worry, our anxiety, our fears, and he gives us his peace, which transcends all understanding. And then I love this. It will guard it'll guard your heart, guard your mind in Christ.